Do you ever put your kids to bed and finally have some peace and quiet, and then you don't know what on earth to do with yourself? <laughs> well, you're not alone. Moms everywhere are having a hard time letting go of the mental load of all of the shoulds that come with having kids and jobs and running a household and actually letting themselves enjoy a moment of indulgence. Today, my guest, Rachel Birchie, author of The Kids Are In Bed, is sharing her tips and tricks for finding time for yourself in the chaos of parenting. Are you looking for real life, tried and true tips and tricks to help with all the nitty gritty stuff of mom life? Well, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Mom Force. Hello, Rachel. I am so thrilled to be chatting with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, my baby sister, Kara, is here too. She's calling in from Florida. Where are you calling from, Rachel? I'm calling from Chicago. Chicago. I've never been to Chicago. Oh, you got to come. It's great. Come in the summer. <laughs> yeah, it's too cold now, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Rachel, your new book, The Kids Are in Bed, Finding Time for Yourself in the Chaos of Parenting, I have to say thank you for validating things that I know Kara and I both have experienced being moms and feeling like we don't have any time for ourselves. Right. And when we do have time for ourselves, not really knowing what the heck to do with ourselves or feeling guilty that we're not being productive enough. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's like a two-part issue. One, we feel like we don't have the time. And I might argue that the time exists, but when we do have it, we're so exhausted and mentally drained that we either don't know what to do with it or we're too tired to kind of even think about what to do with it. And we just sort of stare at the wall. Well, before we get started, Rachel, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you came to write a parenting book? Yes, absolutely. So I am a journalist and author, and I've written three books. They all sort of chart the course of my life. My first book was called MWF Seeking BFF, my year-long search for a new best friend. And it was <laughs> about how I moved to Chicago from New York to be with my boyfriend at the time, now my husband. And I had this great marriage, but I realized that I sort of was missing that social network. So I spent the year going on what I called friend dates, 52, one a week for a year, and trying to find my new bestie. And then my next book was called Jennifer Gwyneth and Me, sort of looks at celebrity obsession, and it and also talks about trying to start a family. So my books are often just kind of telling whatever's happening in my life. And I have now have two kids, a six-and-a-half-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son. So this book really kind of touches on that time of life, of the chaos and, you know, some of that stuff that you don't, I think, re really expect when you have kids of how much of your own identity you give up and how much of your own time you give up. Obviously, everyone knows that having kids is going to be time consuming, but I don't I don't think it's easy to understand just how all consuming it is until yeah. until it happens. And I love you share so many of your own experiences and experiences of some of your friends, but you also did a research study, right? Yes, I did a survey that I called the Parent Time Survey of 500 parents across the country, a nationally representative survey asking these parents about sort of how they use their time, how they feel about their time, what they do with it. And it was really, really interesting. I mean, one of the major findings for me was that more than 71% um, of the respondents said that their free time didn't feel free because they were spending so much time thinking about what they could or should be doing. So that time, that free time is basically contaminated by what we call mental load of the questions of, did I order the diapers yet? Do I need to make a doctor's appointment for my son? Did I send in the permission slip? All those things that you're kind of constantly going over in your head, even when you're supposed to be relaxing. 71%. That is significant. Well, I know that 
just from looking at some of the posts in our Mom Force Facebook group, that that is reflective of what's happening. This is one of the posts that Mary put in our Facebook group. She says, what are some of your favorite things you do for yourself to feel recharged? I am a stay-at-home mom with a 17-month-old, and when the baby naps, I know I could be doing something productive or taking some time for self-care, but I usually just end up napping too because I am so depleted. Help a mama out. Now, first of all, Mary, there's nothing wrong with taking a nap when the baby naps, but feeling like you should be doing something, quote-unquote, productive, that's the problem here, right? Rachel, what advice do you have for Mary? Yes, I totally agree. I think one, as you said, napping is great. If that's what makes you happy and that's what you need, like there should be no guilt there. And one of the things I write about in my book is the importance of sleep because it is really disrupted when we have kids, obviously when they're infants and even as they're older, you're just not sleeping that same kind of deep sleep. But also, you know, the pressure to do something productive and this sort of self-improvement culture we live in, I think makes it really hard. There's a lot of pressure and I, I feel this myself and I heard this from parents, you know, and moms even more so that when the free time finally did show up, there was all this pressure to to use it wisely because it was so rare. And so it was the questions of like, what can I do for self-improvement instead of saying, what do I enjoy doing? What will refill me? I mean, for me, I love watching TV. And last night my, my husband was out of town and I put my kids to bed and I just like got on the couch and watched, caught up on two episodes of Grey's Anatomy. And it was just really delicious. So I think, you know, the question of understanding that whatever it is that you enjoy doing is the thing that you should be doing. It doesn't have to be, you know, something so quote unquote productive or valuable. What's valuable to me is what makes you feel rejuvenated so that you can kind of face the day and all the parenting needs the next day. I love the idea of of the mental load being distinguished by what makes you feel happy, what's delicious to you. And I can relate to a good show at night because that's what I love to do. And I think we need to get out of this mindset of it being a guilty thing because guess what? Mama needs a break. And sometimes that means just zoning out and watching your favorite show. Yeah. And you know, it's a problem when you're fantasizing about being hit by a car so you can spend a couple days in the hospital. Not that I do that, but our sister Erica, she's constantly talking about that when things start to feel overwhelming and that mental load is just too much. She's like, please, someone take me out. Put me in the hospital for a few days. That's desperate. Yes. There's always that. Like, let me get like just sick enough that I have to be on bed rest, but not so sick that it's like a huge problem. Yes. I can relate to that. But I always suggest for um, parents one thing to do because I do think it's a very common problem that people feel like I just don't know what to do with my time and there's so much pressure and, and so I do nothing or so I pick up my phone and I look at Instagram, which, you know, if you take pleasure in that, I say, go for it. Like if you feel connected to friends by looking at catching up on Instagram. But what I heard from so many parents was, you know, I was so depleted and exhausted and I couldn't even imagine making one more decision. So you just pick up your phone and scroll and then 45 minutes have passed and you're like, oh no, what did I just do with my time? What a waste. Now I have to go to bed and I wish I had spent the night differently. So one thing I always suggest is just creating a list like on your phone of five things that you'd like to do that you can do from home when the kids are in bed. So it doesn't have to be something that takes an hour or two, but really think about what it is that you like to do. So for me, that is watch a TV show, read a novel, call a friend, uh, do a crossword puzzle, an exercise. But for someone else, it might look totally different. You know, some people love crafting or baking or whatever the case may be. Um, But just having that list there so that when the time comes, 
and it can take me 20 minutes just to kind of be like, oh, I have time now. I should do something and think about all that. So instead, I just pick up my phone. I look at the list and I just pick whatever makes sense in the moment. I am a big list person, too. And I actually have a list of like the little nagging things to do that will take me like five minutes, like make this phone call, do this thing, like productive things. But after reading mm-hmm. this in your book, I took your suggestion and I made a list of rejuvenating little indulgences. And it is so helpful. And it keeps me from, like you said, reverting to social media where I will end up closing my phone with all kinds of regrets. Yeah. What's on your list? Call a friend. Go for a walk. Actually, I like to watch a good show. I will only watch shows while I'm on the elliptical or folding laundry, though. Hey, what's your take on that? Is it a true indulgence if you are multitasking? No. (laughs) That's my take. (laughs) It feels Um, like a justification. Why do I feel like I need to justify watching a TV show if I'm doing something productive? Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because I write about that very thing in my book because I did that same thing. Like, always, like, oh, I'll fold the laundry now so I can watch a show. And... You know, all the science shows that our brains are just not that great at multitasking. So you're probably folding the laundry slower and like missing things in the show and not enjoying it as much. Um, but I also think, you know, we really need to lean into these moments. Allow yourself to just enjoy the show if that's if that's what you like to do. Uh, I think, you know, we need to not feel like we need to justify doing something that makes us happy. There's, you know, the idea that if you take some things off the list that that you know, maybe that free time will even be better later on in the week. But as we all know, something else always comes up, you know, the list is never done. So that's why I really believe in prioritizing, you know, putting putting yourself on the list, because otherwise, you'll never do it. You said in your book, at, at one point, you said, you do not become a better parent by not enjoying your life. And I feel like that hit me hard, because sometimes, you're right, we're prioritizing everybody else. And and we are just getting run down. And if we can't figure out how to check on ourselves, then how can we be the best parent or mother or partner that we can be? Yeah, absolutely. We lose ourselves in motherhood. And I think that's a point you make is that the key, the key to feeling rejuvenated is remembering who you were before kids. Exactly, exactly. We are like entire people. We are parents and that is one identity, but it's not everything that we are. And I think it's really important to remember that also, you know, you're doing this for yourself, but you're also doing this for your children, um, you know, to the point of not becoming a, a better parent by not enjoying yourself. Our kids are watching us all the time. And then my daughter, she, you know, one day we were sitting down and we were, I said, let's talk about our day. And she said, I know what you did today. You know, you got up, took care of the kids, went to work, cleaned, work, put us to bed, cleaned some more, did some more work, went to bed. Oh boy! Like, well, that's a de- depressing <laughs> yes. rundown. Like that's not that's what you think. Well, I'd like to end that life right now. Like, <laughs> yeah, and I don't want her to think that you know if she decides to have kids one day that that's what's expected of her that she can't do anything to enjoy herself. The surveys show that what kids want is less stressed parents, not necessarily more time with their parents. I think we all think that our kids wish that they had more time with us, but really they wish we were less stressed. It really is not just for you. It's for your kids. And, and, you know, they learn their attitudes about leisure from us. And so, you know, it's important to me to model something that I would want for her. I We have the funniest story about our daughter, Charlotte. And maybe I've shown this example a little too much. But my husband takes the kids out on, on little date nights. And he always asks the same questions. And one of those questions are, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she answered and said, I want to be a customer. And we laughed so hard at that because 
what does that mean, right? And in my mind, I'm thinking she loves to go with me to Publix, which is our local grocery store. She loves to get the tasters. She loves to be in the checkout. Like the whole experience of going grocery shopping, she loves. And I think she related to this, like, I want to be a customer because she felt taken care of. She felt like people were there to help her. So in her little mind, she thought, that's really fun to go grocery shopping. I get to go get testers and get a drink and have a cookie. I want to be a customer when I grow up. Instead, instead of the person working that's the cashier. Yeah. She, doesn't want her. she wants to be taken care of. And I thought that's great. I appreciate babe. that. Yeah, <laughs> That's funny. So Rachel, do you have any tips for helping us reconnect to that former self who we were before we had kids? Yeah, I think that, you know, it starts by really thinking about like, what did you like to do when you were a kid? And what did you like to do before you had before you had kids? You know, you mentioned before that one of the things on your list is to go for a walk. And when I first made my sort of list of things I like to do, I put go for a walk on there and then like realized that I don't actually like to do that. I just think I should like to do that. And so I put it on the list. But I think being really honest with yourself about what it is that you enjoy. And sometimes that means, you know, thinking back to what did you like as a kid, but also really knowing that you can get a a lot, not a lot done, but you can get a lot out of a short period of time. So you don't need to wait for an hour or two hours to fall on your lap. You don't need to take a spa weekend or a girls weekend. And those are great. And I support them, but you know, you can't come by them every day and they're expensive, but 20 minutes, that's sort of something of a magic number in terms of, of like a 20 minute nap is really rejuvenating. You can read many pages in 20 minutes, you can get a great workout in in 20 minutes. One of the things I heard in the parent time survey from parents was that the reason, the thing that made it hardest for them to use their time in ways that they felt good about was that their chunks of free time were too short. We all think we need, we need these long periods of uninterrupted bliss. And the reality is you can get all, you can, you kind of fit it in, in small bursts. So don't, let the perfect be the enemy of the good in this case, you know, and just lean into these small chunks. And I think for me, a big part of reconnecting to who I was before kids is reconnecting to my partner, you know, my boyfriend, yeah. not the father of my children, but like the, the man boyfriend. that I love. <laughs> I know. Nate always calls me girlfriend when we go out on dates because we're desperately trying to remember. We, we started dating when we were 18. Things were very different then than they are now. And instead of going out on a date and talking about the kids and the finances and work and all that stuff, we have to consciously remember that we have a life outside of all of this. Absolutely. I think that's so important. And, you know, my husband and I, the first time we had our date night after our daughter was born and we were, we were so excited. It was our anniversary. My mom came to watch my daughter and we got all dressed up and we went to sat down at the sushi restaurant. And the first thing we did was take out our phones and look at pictures of our daughter and kind of compare videos. <laughs> and that's always, that's fun and cute, but it's really not the best way to reconnect and to remember all the things that you talked about and connected over and fell in love over before you had kids. There's always going to be logistics about parenting to discuss of like who's going to take who to this class and who's going to drop off who at school and all those things. But I like to kind of recommend making something of a rule, like if we're having date night or even sitting down to dinner after the kids are in bed, this is a time for talking about all the other stuff, for not talking about the kid logistics, but really kind of remembering that we are more than just co-parents. We are people who have a relationship between the two of us and kind of connect on a deeper level. Yes. For date night ideas at home, not everyone can go out every date night yeah, when they've got little kids at home. How do you create a novel and exciting date night at home? 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's it's hard. I'm going to be honest, you know, and I think not every time you're going to be with partner is going to be always novel and exciting, but that's sort of the ideal. But, you know, we like to play board games just because there's like something, you know, there's some interactivity to it. It's not just sitting side by side. I love board games. I get really excited about playing Scrabble with my husband. Yeah. It's super. I mean, it's just like, a, it's a nice sort of conversation starter, if nothing else. There's a survey, it's called third, like the 36 questions. And it was basically created to see if there was a way to kind of speed up how two strangers might fall in love. So it's things like, you know, who would be your ideal dinner guest and things like that. And it gets kind of increasingly personal. But one day I was like, let's just do this. I mean, we've been married for 10 years. It's, it's not sort of we were not the intended audience for the survey. And I was actually surprised that my husband was game. But it was just sort of we went through a few of the questions, just a sort of a, a conversation starter, which is silly because we've been together forever. We shouldn't need kind of prompts, but it's just a, a good reminder of sort of other stuff to talk about. Yes. I, I think I'd have to be pretty sneaky about slipping those in, though, if I announced that we are now yes, doing the conversation starters. I couldn't believe that he said okay, to be honest. I was like, there's no way he's going to agree to this. There's a part in the book that I loved reading about, and that was going on dates with other couples and how mm-hmm. you were able to reconnect with the husband that you went on dates with and fell in love with because he was a different person with other couples not a different person but he was maybe um, a more fun lively exciting yeah, person of himself more connected I to him, I the feel younger bad on him. double dates I do too I love it and not the because not because I don't want just one-on-one time with my husband we get plenty of one-on-one time but I love seeing him in that that sort of environment where he's witty and he's spontaneous yeah. and there's something that it just brings you back to like, yes, that is, that's what I love so much about you. Yeah. I think they kind of, I mean, we all sort of like turn it on when we're socializing a little bit, you know, because when we're at home and we're on our, you know, on our sweats and we're, you know, eating leftovers out of the fridge, it's just not as, you know, we're comfortable and that's sort of the the beauty of it. But also there's this other part of when you're socializing with other people and, and you kind of can watch the person, as you say, that you fell in love with, and you can see your partner through someone else's eyes and see like, oh, yeah, look how charming he is and how funny and all the things that we just sort of forget to turn on when we're with our partners just every single day because we get comfortable and and sometimes lazy, to be honest. (laughs) You talk about how when your partner supports supports you in ways you cannot recount, you are most likely more happy. And I loved Mm -hmm. reading that because my husband does a lot for me. And I just, I know the support's there and I know that means that he loves me and he wants the best for me. But I think you're totally right when you say that because when you're not keeping a tally of like, I did this, why isn't he doing that? Or he did that for me. Oh man, now I got to begrudgingly do this for him. You get Mm -hmm. stuck in the tally of you're up, he's down, I'm down, he's up. When really the support that the support that you can't recall is the most important because it's the one that's always there for you and always there to 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 buoy you up. Yes, exactly. And and you know I spoke to a relationship expert who said of all the things that you think oh date night or this or that that might indicate a happier couple the thing the only thing that they've really found is that these couples where this invisible support exists, those couples are happier because you're not, as you say, you're not always keep, you're not keeping score or feeling like everything, you know, feeling resentful or like everything's a payback, but your life is just a little bit easier because someone's doing something to like lift your load a little bit without constantly asking for, you know, of course saying thank you is important, but without constantly kind of calling attention to it and asking for that. And, and those little things go a long way. And just a little phone call check-in or a text throughout the day is such an easy, great way to stay connected and to kind of 
also keep a pulse on how they're feeling because sometimes you'll part ways in the morning and you have no idea what the other person's going through. And then it can be a rude awakening when you guys come home at the end of the day and someone's had a hard day or there, there can be a feeling of disconnect. But I have to say my yeah. favorite way to connect to my, my former life before kids <laughs> that, <laughs> that often takes a back seat when kids come along is good old sex. Why is it so hard for parents to reconnect in the bedroom? I mean, I think logistically it's hard. You know, yes. there's kids around. There's who knows your door has a lock. There's all those things, and we're tired, and we don't, especially in the early days. You know, we might not feel super sexy. You know, I tell a story uh, in my book about the first time my husband and I decided, like, okay, we're going to reconnect in this way after kids. But I was nursing at the time, and suddenly I realized I had to pump, and so that I had to, like, say, hold on, please, and go and, like, pump for a minute, and then he fell asleep. I mean, it was like a comedy of errors. And I think that that's, kind of, that's totally normal. It's, it's very common, and they say marital happiness declines over time for all marriages, but really precipitously after having kids. So this kind of reconnection is so important. And, and, and so I think we have to really think about kind of what our expectations for that are. I think we all have this idea that like um, sex and intimacy should happen sort of spontaneously and impulsively. And as we all know, Not parenting parent. is like the opposite of spontaneity. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't happen yeah. in life. So, <laughs> there's, no, there's no time for that. So um, or sort of there's, there's not a lot of space for spontaneity and things to just like just happen. So, you know, a lot of the experts I spoke to said, you know, schedule it in. And I know it doesn't sound romantic to kind of make an agreement like, okay, it's Sunday and on Wednesday we're going to do it. But sometimes it, it comes to that. And, and there is some, there's some fun to that. Cause then there's the, the excitement of the anticipation. You know, one, one woman told me that, you know, she tells couples to do it, to get a, get a babysitter and then sort of have your, tell the babysitter to take the kids out to the, the playground, have your intimate moment before you go out to dinner. Yes. Because as parents, you know, we go out, we have a big plate of pasta, we have some red wine, we think, okay, this is going to be a great romantic night, but then you come home and you're full and you're tired and we pass out and then you think, oops, we meant to, you know, meant to have our, our intimate moment last night and it didn't happen. So you sort of have to rethink what is normal for you now and make that work. Yeah. I love the idea of scheduling. I always kind of thought it was taboo and I would like secretly schedule in my head like, okay, it's been this long. Let's okay. Tonight's the night. <laughs> but we finally started like letting each other know like, Hey, I got you tonight, babe. And then like you said, the anticipation starts to build and it becomes a sexy experience, even though it's been on the schedule and we know, okay, Wednesday we're going to do it. It's still fun mm -hmm. in, in the anticipation. Whoa. <laughs> Woo, we're yeah. getting all no, flustered just sitting there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I think that's exactly right. And as you say, you know, when you kind of know in your head, okay, tonight's the night and you forgot to tell the other person and then they're tired and it's not the night for them. It's, that's a, that's not a great feeling too. So yeah. it's nice to sort of have that agreement. Okay. This is happening and you can both be excited and maybe you like, shave your legs that day or whatever it is that makes you feel good and you feel sexy and you know it's you know it's happening so I do think we kind of need to to reframe what we think is like okay because whatever whatever makes us do it <laughs> is great and I just think that we need to remember like it's not the movies guys he's not gonna walk in and like exactly. dip you kiss you and pull your clothes off like that's just not gonna happen <laughs> exactly and especially for moms at the end of the day you're so physically exhausted especially if you have little kids that are just 
hanging on you and grabbing you all day long. But I have never had sex and regretted it. It's always the sense of, oh, why don't we do this more often? It's the greatest release valve. It's the easiest way to reconnect with your former self. But so many of us hold back for some reason. I think back to what you were saying, Kara. There's like that tallying thing. And maybe in our head we're like, okay, you haven't done enough for me. No one's done enough for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold this yeah. hostage to myself. Yeah. yeah, like you're doing yourself a favor. But really it ends up you end up in a bad place. <laughs> we all need to be having more sex, if you ask me. I always joke that it's like every time it's like, well, we should do this more often. Yeah. <laughs> like, why don't we do this more? And then a week goes by so. and you're like, what? why do I feel like I'm just going to tear everyone apart and I'm losing my mind oh well it's because we haven't scheduled that in so i love that reminder we got to schedule it in well and you said earlier that all of this you know it's going to help us feel happier and less stress but it's for the kids we want to model for our kids a life that they can live as adults and parents that will be fulfilling and enriching but also you know happy wife happy life happy mom happy home I don't know I've heard those things before there is some real truth to that absolutely absolutely I mean everyone is better off when we're all a little you know calmer and saner and and feeling good because then we can be really in those moments I mean I recently had one of those weekends where it was just like a lot of chaotic parenting time and I was sort of at my wit's end but then I had to leave for a haircut and had about a half an hour before I had to come home. And so instead of like rushing home, I went and read a book and had a sandwich by myself at a restaurant. And when I got home and my kids were like, can we make cupcakes? And like, we want to make it do an experiment in the kitchen. I was like, okay, which I really think had that same conversation happened three hours earlier, I would have been like, no, that's messy. I don't want to deal with this. No. So I think it really does kind of open us up to kind of being present and having those joyous moments with our, with our families. I love it. And you talk about in your book about affection and I'm going to quote you. You said, I want them to know that we're in love to see that we are as committed to each other as we are to them. And I love that because I think it's so important. I know some kids are like, ew, mom, dad, get a room. But for the kids to see you touching and loving each other is the best example we can set for what, I want for my my children in a relationship. Absolutely. I was that kid saying, ew, mom, dad, you know, like get a room. Like I was always like, gross, stop. But now, you know, in retrospect, I'm so happy that I always saw that like I had parents who were committed to each other and I want that. And so now, you know, I want that for my kids and they do the same thing and they scream and they go running, but they know that we love each other and that we love them and that, you know, that they're in a home full of love. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. I love it. So much good stuff, Rachel. Where can our listeners find more about you and your book? Yes. So uh, they can find anything about me on my website, rachelbirchie.com. And I have an Instagram account, The Kids Are In Bed. It has all the stuff about this book. And also, you know, I give sort of recommendations for, I think the tagline is, don't waste your precious time on bad pop culture. So I give recommendations for sort of what to do with with that time when you find it, what to watch, what to read, things like that. Oh, I love it. And the book is available wherever books are sold. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Kara, thanks for being here. And you guys, you you. have an assignment. You know what it is. (laughs) Get your girlfriend on. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Okay. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here with us. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and let us know what you think. Also, check out the show notes for links to the things we talked about. And you can find a special chapbooks discount code. All right. We'll see you next week.